0: When we left off at the last show, at the end of the last show, the Quraysh had been soundly whipped by the Muslims at the Battle of Badr. They had lost over 70 men and another 70 or so had been captured. So they lost almost 10% of their fighting force, more than 10% of their fighting force, actually. And on top of that, they had gone out to battle with the idea that this was going to be a romp, a stroll in the park a nice little fun at the beach. And it turned out to be a slaughter, at least from their perspective. And so when they, when they re, the army returned home to Mecca, they returned to despair and howls of grief and sadness at the loss of life and the destruction to their community. Mecca had never seen anything, anything like this before, mind you. Mecca had never been invaded since the time of Abraha and his elephants. And we all know how that turned out. So Mecca had never seen this kind of destruction and warfare. This was new to Mecca. In many ways, this was new to the Arabs in general because the Arabs really were not invaded by too many outside forces. The climate and the terrain of the Arabian Peninsula just didn't allow for it. Armies like the Romans and the Byzantines and the Persians and the Greeks and all these armies that had the power to really conquer the entire Arabian Peninsula simply did not do it because that desert was just too formidable. And so Mecca had never seen anything like this before. They had never lost so much life in one day. And they were grieving. They were sad. And they were mad. They wanted revenge against the Muslims at all costs. And their new leader, Abu Sufyan, Made a promise and made a pledge that he would get them their revenge. He ev- he immediately began making plans and focusing on wiping out the Muslims and exacting revenge for their loss, for their utter defeat, for their humiliation at the Battle of Badr. This time the Quraysh weren't going to play around. Last time Abu Ja left. And led the army into battle when they didn't really have to go. And he had the air of let's go and kick some Muslim butt and sing and dance and have dancing girls and stuff like that. He was going in the air of a barbecue, having like a party. Abu Sufyan had learned his lesson. The Quraysh had learned their lesson. They weren't playing around this time. They meant to go down to Medina and exact some severe retribution. They had learned their lesson. They knew that this was for real. They knew that this was a real war in a real battle and the Muslims meant business and the Quraysh now, they adjusted their attitude and they meant business also. The Quraysh began to employ what we would probably today call an extension of the Powell Doctrine. The Powell Doctrine, espoused by the American General Colin Powell, stipulates That if a nation decides that it has to go to war, it must go to war with everything it's got. It it must use every single tactic, every single bit of firepower, every single weapon, everything that it can muster in order to completely demoralize the enemy and bring about a swift and quick decision. Quick and swift surrender from the enemy. And the Kurdesh were employing a similar doctrine. They decided to amass a huge army. Perhaps not the biggest one they would ever muster because they would not be able to muster one more bigger army, even bigger than this one, in the Battle of the Trench, which I don't believe we'll be able to cover in this series. But they were able to muster a pretty large force. And they were going to use every single trick in their toolbox. In order to win this time, they weren't playing games either. If the Muslims met, meant business, the Quraysh meant even more business, or their business was at least as serious as the Muslims were. And there were two more factors weighing in, well, really one more factor weighing into this whole battle. Abu Sufyan's wife, Hind, wanted revenge on Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib the uncle of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu wa sallam. Furthermore, Jubera ibn Mu'tim, he also wanted revenge on Hamza. And so the two of them, as we mentioned in the previous episode, hired Wahshi, the Ethiopian slave, well, Abyssinian at that time, the Abyssinian slave who was a master marksman with his spear. They hired him to get rid of Hamza. Perhaps they hired him because they didn't want the blood on their own hands for killing someone from the Hashem clan. Perhaps they thought that if they if it was found out that they were responsible for him directly for his death directly, perhaps the members of the Hashim clan, who still lived in Mecca and there were quite a few of them still there, would come to them seeking revenge. But if they hired this this slave, they paid the slave to do it. That gives them a buffer zone, basically. Uh, A layer between them and the actual death of Hamza. Who knows why they did it? But for certain, they wanted Hamza dead and they wanted to make sure that no matter what the outcome, whether the Quraysh won or lost, that Hamza would not come out of this next battle alive. And so they offered two things to Washi that almost every man would love, his freedom and wealth. They offered him his freedom from slavery and him offered, him offered him several gold bracelets and pieces of jewelry, which would make him a small fortune in a short period of time. So he would go from being a slave with no properties and in fact being the property of someone else to being a free man with a lot of wealth so you can see how this was very enticing to him and he accepted their offer and when the time came for the army of the Quraysh to march out to Medina one year after the battle of Badr Wahshi went right along with them the reason why these two wanted Hamza dead was because Hamza had been responsible for the death of so many of their relatives he may have killed several other people but in the Battle of Badr, that is. But he killed most certainly at least four people. As far as jubair ibn Martin was concerned. Hamza had killed a man named Taima ibn Adi. Who was the uncle of jubair And jubair was of course the owner of Washi. Then also killed the father. The brother. And the uncle of Hind. Who was the wife of Abu Sufyan. So she was Especially especially vindictive. She really had a vendetta against him. So there was no there was no confusion and there should be no surprise why they wanted Hamza dead. But before we go a little bit too further, before we go much further, let's look at Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib just a little bit. Who was he? How did he become Muslim? Hamza was one of several sons born to Abdul Muttalib and these sons included Abu Talib, the uncle of Prophet Muhammad wasallam, as well as Abu Lahab, also the uncle of the Messenger of Allah, as well as Abbas, also the uncle of the Messenger of Allah, and also Abdullah, who was the father of Prophet Muhammad wasallam. So these four men who play different roles some good, some bad in the life of Islam, in the history of Islam, in the life of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu all came from the same family, all came from the same stock. Abu Talib, Hamza, Abdullah, the father of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and Abbas. So Hamza was uncle of the Prophet of Allah, and he loved his nephew very much. But in the beginning of Islam, when the Prophet when the Prophet first began to preach the message of Islam in Mecca, and the people of Mecca, the people, people of Quraysh, were beginning to up and beginning to intensify the persecution of the Muslims and their mockery and attacks against Prophet Muhammad sallallahu He did not take part in the attacks, but he did not become Muslim either. It wasn't until He came home from a hunting trip, and he learned that Abu Jal had attacked his nephew, Muhammad, in a very humiliating and cowardly way. Hamza, who still had his bow slung across his back, found Abu Jal at the Kaaba and began to whip him, beat him with his bow, beating him, saying, You did this to to my nephew. You did this to my nephew? Well, I'll have you know that I believe what he believes and whipping him with, with his bow across his head. Immediately, the clan of Abu Jal rushed out to his protection, but Abu Jal, seeing what was going on, stood up and stopped everything and calmed his clan down and told them that he was at fault because he did attack Muhammad unnecessarily. But Hamza had already said the words. He had already said that he believed what his nephew believed. Hamza he had a liking for alcohol. He was a very rambunctious and rough kind of person. As you can see, he attacked Abu Jal. He, he sought revenge for, against Abu Jal for hurting his nephew. So you can see that Hamza was the kind of personality who could sometimes strike first and think later. But also he had a very strong personality. One that you would love to have on your side when the going gets tough. As one of my friends is often described as being, Hamza was the kind of person you would call when there's no more talking to be done. When the time for negotiations is over, you call Hamza in. He was that kind of person. So Hamza was a, had a very rough personality. And sometimes he jumped first and thought later. Or leaped first and thought later. And so after he had openly proclaimed his acceptance of the the prophet's mission and the prophet's message, he began to have some second thoughts about it. He began to wonder, had he moved too fast? Is this what he really wanted to do? Did he really believe in what his nephew was saying? So at first he had a few doubts. He had some second thoughts. Maybe he had moved too suddenly. Maybe he needed to give this a little more thought a little more logic, a little more thinking, some more discussion. But eventually Allah changed his heart and Hamza accepted Islam fully. And he even wound up making the hijrah to Medina with his nephew, which is something that he certainly did not have to do. He could have stayed in Mecca in the protection of his clan. but He made the hijrah to Mecca with Prophet Muhammad it should also be noted that Hamza and Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu even though one was the uncle of the other, they were really about the same age. And so they had pretty much grown up together. So while they were technically uncle and nephew, they were more like brothers in a sense. Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was an only child. His, his father died before he was born and his mother died at a very young age. So he never had any other siblings. Hamza, however, had several siblings, but they were all much older than him. Abu Talib was an old man, at least 20 years older than Hamza. And the perhaps only other person closer to his age was perhaps Abdullah. But Abdullah, who was the Prophet's father, was old enough to be his father too. So Hamza and Prophet Muhammad had a very close relationship. They had grown up like brothers. And so they were very close to each other. And when Hamza said he supported his nephew, who was more like his brother in a way, he meant it. He meant it with all his heart. And so he made the trip, the Hijrah, to Medina, along with the other Muslims. He believed in his nephew's mission, and he took part in the Battle of Badr, and he killed multiple people in the Battle of Badr. But some of those people earned him a price on his head. And Wahshi was going to exact their retribution, on behalf of Hind, the wife of Abu Sufyan, and Jubair ibn Mu'atam. Now, as we had mentioned earlier, the Quraysh were being much more careful with their battle plans this time. They were going into this thing haphazardly and foaming at the mouth and waving their swords in the air and shader, saber-rabbling, saber-rattling and all that sort of thing. They were coming ready to fight. They recognized their mistakes from the Battle of Badr and they were out for blood this time around. Abu Sufyan, he managed to also put together a much better battle plan than what Abu Jal had left Mecca with a year earlier. Abu Sufyan, he gathered more tribes to join him. He didn't just go in there with the Quraysh alone. He gathered other tribes to join into this mix. And then he also set up Two cavalries, one led by Ikrimah, the son of Abu Jahl, and one led by Khalid ibn Walid. We're going to talk about Khalid ibn Walid in just a bit. But these two cavalries, these were, were mounted soldiers on horseback who could attack the Muslims in a very swift and fast manner, something Abu Jahl had not really considered, bothered himself with a year earlier at the Battle of Badr. Abu Sufyan had not one but two cavalrys, so he was doing the best that he could to make sure that this battle came out as a success but one cannot muster an army of such large proportions and make such extensive plans and put forward so much money and pay so many expenses the expenses required in putting together such a large force without word getting out. And when the Muslims found out about this huge force being gathered, set out on their own destruction, the Muslims had to come up with a counter plan. Prophet Muhammad back in Medina, he gathered with his sahaba, and they began to discuss a plan about this impending invasion from Mecca. He talked with his Sahabas, his companions, and these included the leaders of the Aus and the khazraj remember these two formerly feuding clans who are now on the same side under the, under the Messenger of Allah. He gathered these men together, including his top companions from amongst the Muhajirun, those who had made the Hijrah with them, and they began to discuss different battle plans there really were two primary options. The Muslims could either gather up their army and go out and meet the Quraysh on the battlefield outside of the city of Medina and fight it out there. Or they could wait it out inside the city of Medina and do a sort of guerrilla warfare, urban warfare, where women could throw pots of boiling oil out of the windows onto the Quraish soldiers and the Quraish didn't know the different alleyways and the routes of of uh, Medina. They would get lost. The Muslims could fight them in tiny alleyways and tiny corners and and use their knowledge of the city to take advantage of the situation. They could use their smaller numbers and their knowledge of the city to take advantage of the blum, of the blundering and bum, blumbering, blumbering Quraish who wouldn't know anything about the city and didn't know their way around. They would, be, would literally be walking into a death trap and they could slowly pick them off one by one as this huge army tried to make its way through Medina. Those are the two options. The Prophet, sallam, for his part, he preferred the second option. He felt his force was perhaps too small or perhaps he just felt that being within the city, a city that they were familiar with, they had been living there for over three years now, City, a city that, they, that the Muslims were familiar with, where they could use the tight confines of uh, a growing city, a growing town, to their advantage, he felt that that would be better and more likely to bring success for the Muslims. But his companions, especially the leaders of the Aus and the Khazraj, these guys were, like I said, warriors. They had been in battle with each other for many many years for generations and they were hankering to get a taste at some warfare and they were not the type to stay behind in the houses and wait around for the enemy to come to them they wanted to go out there and meet the enemy on the battlefield and take them on head on and so they convinced the prophet of Allah they talked with him and they convinced him and they suggested to him that they actually go out and meet the Quraysh on the battlefield. And the Prophet of Allah, eventually, against his better judgment, he relented and agreed with them. When the Sahabas, the companions, realized that they had pushed the Prophet into doing something that he really didn't want to do, they began to have second thoughts. They began to say, well, maybe we should take the Prophet's suggestion into consideration and so they talked to him and said well maybe we can do what you said you know your idea isn't that bad maybe we can go ahead and go along with your battle plan but the prophet of Allah he he wouldn't do it once a leader makes up his mind he has to go forward with it you can't flip flop back and forth that shows a lack of decision a lack of conviction so the prophet had made up his mind that they were going to go out and meet the Quraysh in the battlefield and that is exactly what they did. When the Quraysh army finally made its way down to Medina, the Muslim army left from the vicinity of Medina to meet them out in open battlefield and keep the city behind them. Now, as we mentioned earlier, the Quraysh were sparing no expense. They were taking no chances this time around. Abu Sufyan was determined to make sure that this was a victory for the Quraysh. Now he could only get about 700 of his own soldiers to take part in this battle. But using money and bribery and connections and negotiations, he was able to convince several other tribes, several other Arab tribes in the area to participate in the war effort. So ultimately, the army that descended upon Medina consisted of over 3,000 people. Over 3,000 soldiers depended descended upon Medina led by Abu Sufyan. This was the force that the Muslims were coming to, f- to terms with and the Muslims' army numbered only about 1,000. And to make matters worse, 300 of those soldiers broke off at the last minute and went back home, went back to Medina, saying that this was a lost cause. The Muslims, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, should have stayed within the city of Medina rather than go out to meet the soldiers, the Quraysh, on the battlefield. This contingent that broke off was led by a man named Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, who has been known as the leader of the hypocrites. And hypocrisy or Muslims who said they were Muslims just to get along with the other Muslims for convenience. This was a new phenomenon in Medina that the Prophet wa did not have to deal with in Mecca. When he was in Mecca, he had to deal with people who he knew were his enemy. He knew the Quraysh basically did not like him and were trying to snuff out Islam. But in Medina, it was a little bit different. There are people who said they were Muslim, they said Assalamu Alaikum, they prayed along with the Muslims, they did everything that they that Muslims were supposed to do, yet they were constantly planning and plotting against the Muslims at the same time. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul was one of those people. He was a very influential person in Medina before the Prophet Muhammad came, and when the Prophet came, he lost a lot of his influence and stature. He lost even more when he began to expose his hypocritical ways. But he still had a fairly large following. And when the Muslims left out of Medina to meet the Quraysh on the battlefield, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul took this opportunity to demoralize the Muslims or attempt to demoralize the Muslims by leading his followers, which numbered about 3000 back into Medina in a disgruntled way, saying, well, Muhammad didn't listen to me. We said, I told him, I suggested to him to keep the battle in Medina, but he didn't listen to me, so I'm not going to take part in this one. That was his attitude. He left the soldiers and went back into Medina with his 300 followers. And so the Muslim army, which was already outnumbered 3 to 1 anyway, 3,000 to 1,000, now they were down to 3,000 to 700. But the Prophet of Allah, he made the best with what he could. He put his army with a back-facing the mountain called Ahud, and then he sent a cat, he sent a light detachment of archers to the top of a hill to overlook their flank so that none of the Quraysh could sneak attack them from the side while they were engaged in battle if we can lay this out for you if you can imagine the city of medina on your left-hand side and then maybe about a mile away the the mountains And the mountain range that consisted and included the mountain of Ahud on your right hand side. And in the middle of that was an open battlefield where the Muslims and the Quraysh would meet. The Muslims lined up facing the city of Medina with the mountain of Ahud to their back. So the Quraysh would have to come and meet the Muslims and fight the Muslims first before they could ever turn into Medina. The Quraysh would never be able to turn and attack Medina because if they did, the backs would be facing the Muslim army which and that would basically lead to their own destruction. And on top of that, the Prophet also had the archers covering their flanks to make sure there would be no surprises. Well, eventually the two armies meet and the battle begins. As most of these b- battles in the early history of Islam were and in this time in the Arabian Peninsula, there were a few duels between some of the the more accomplished swordsmen between the Muslims and the Quraysh. And then, once a few heads have been lopped off, a few limbs have been cut off, the real battle begins and the two armies clash. And once again, the Muslims fighting for dear life because they know that if they lose this battle, they will not only lose their lives, but very likely they will lose their city and the lives of their wives and the lives of their children as well. The Muslims fighting Also, because they had the conviction and the belief that they were fighting a battle of good versus evil, light versus darkness, the Muslims fought with a ferocity that is very hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine these 700 men ripping into these 3,000 soldiers from so many different tribes, but rip into them they did. And the Muslims were, once again, defeating and kicking the Quraysh butt once again. Despite all the planning that Abu Sufyan had done, despite all the money that he had expended, beside all the careful plotting, and everything that he could do to make sure that his people would win, they were still losing to this group of 700 Muslims. The attack against the Quraysh was so fierce, and so extreme, and so, I, I don't, for lack of a better word, awesome and powerful, the Quraysh, broke rings and started running away in all sorts of different directions they were basically being routed and when an army in this day and age is is routed the first thing they do is start tossing off their army because that's slowing them down that's keeping them from running i don't know how the mentality works but i guess you're thinking that while the army may protect me from being sliced to pieces I'll trust my legs a little bit more in this case. (laughs) And so they toss off their armor and start hightailing it out of there and the Muslims are right on their backs. Right on their backs, chasing them, picking up the booty as they go along, picking up these tossed asides uh, armor and the swords that they have thrown to the ground and the horses that that they leave behind. The Quraysh are running in all directions, scattered like a bunch of roaches. Let me turn on the lights. But up on that hill... The archers that Prophet Muhammad had sent there, had put up there to watch their flank and had given them specific instructions. He had told them, if you see us winning, do not come down. If you see us losing, do not come down. He had given them specific instructions to watch their flank at all times. Because Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu knew the Quraish were going to employ different tactics this time. They weren't going to be the, the blundering and blumbering giant that they were in the Battle of Badr. They were going to be a little more cunning. and He was right to think that because there were two cavalries that the Muslim army had not taken into account. Remember, there was still a cavalry of Khalid ibn Walid and Iqnama ibn Abuja. But the archers now, they're on top of this hill and they see the mayhem below them. They see this army of 3,000 crash into the army of 700 and be sent back like a bunch of scattered roaches when you turn the light on in your kitchen. They see the Quraysh running in all directions as the Muslims chase them from behind and uh, slice them and ch- and dice them all, all over the place. And they see the, the booty being left behind as the Quraysh run for their lives. And they see the Muslim soldiers down there picking up the booty, perhaps picking up, you know, uh, a, a piece of gold with one hand, and slicing at a Quraysh on the other hand who knows but they see that all the booty is being snatched up by the soldiers and the archers they're thinking well we're losing out we're up here on this hill protecting their flank but we're losing out on the booty and while even though the house and the Khazraj were dedicated soldiers and professional soldiers And they should have known better than to leave their position. Sometimes greed gets the best of us. They saw what was happening. Perhaps they thought that the battle was over. Perhaps they didn't really take the prophet's command to stay put seriously. Perhaps they were really just concerned about losing out on the wealth. And most of them rushed down from the hill to take part in picking up the wealth and the booty and the riches being left behind by the fleeing Quraysh. Unfortunately for the Muslims, they did not take into consideration a man named Khalid ibn Walid, the leader of one of the cavalry set up by Abu Sufyan. Khalid ibn Walid was not a general, he was not really experienced in fighting. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I have. I've seen kids, young kids, five, six, seven years old, who perhaps have never actually held a football, baseball, a basketball or anything like that. And you flip them the ball, you throw them a ball, they catch it, and you tell them, throw it back to me. And that kid, he cocks his arm back and throws a perfect strike right at you. And you're like, wow, this kid has some talent. With the proper cultivation and, and coaching, this kid could be a professional athlete one day. His first time throwing a ball and he throws it straight and perfect. Well, Khalid Ibn Waleed had that natural raw talent, but not in sports, not in baseball or basketball or football, but in warfare. Khalid Ibn Waleed had a natural talent to lead soldiers and he naturally knew how to win battles. And even though no one at that time knew his ability and knew how skillful he was, the Quraysh had unwittingly put him in a position where everybody would soon see. And when those archers ran down from that mountain, they had also unwittingly flipped Khalid Ibn Walid his first baseball and he threw it right back at them with a perfect strike. He saw the archers leaving their position and he knew that their position on top of that hill was keeping his cavalry from rushing in and outflanking the Muslims and surrounding them and hitting them from the back. So when he saw the archers run down from the hill his opportunity came and he led his cavalry charging up that mountainside. You can imagine his cavalry of about 30 or 40 soldiers on horseback racing up that hill. And only barely 10 archers left to protect themselves. They were no match. The archers were quickly overrun and cut down by Khalid Ibn Walid and his cavalry. They charged up their mountain, took down the archers, charged right back down the other side of the, of the hill, and went right into the Muslims' back. And so the Muslims were suddenly hit by surprise. One moment they're chasing the Quraysh and, and whipping at their backs and chasing them all over the place. Next thing you know, suddenly Khalid ibn Walid is at their back. His his cavalry has suddenly appeared on their back, and he's hitting them from behind. And so the Muslims now find themselves with fighting on two fronts. Not only are they chasing the fleeing Quraysh, they now have to fight off Khalid ibn Walid's cavalry from the back. And the Muslims are and the Muslims are basically in a position that Prophet Muhammad did not want them to be in a position in the first place, they had been outflanked. And now they were surrounded on both sides. Yes, the Quraysh were running on one side, but Khalid ibn Walid and his cavalry, they were not running, they were charging in. And when the Quraysh who were running realized that the Muslims who were fighting against them, who were chasing them a few minutes earlier, were now involved with Khalid ibn Walid and his cavalry further beyond them, they regained their courage and they joined into the fight at all also. So now the Muslims are fighting on two fronts, on the right side and the left side. They called Ibn Walid in the back and the Quraysh who were running away at first, now in the front. And the Muslims are caught in the middle. And the battle of Uhud, which a few minutes earlier seemed like a certain victory for the Muslims, now seemed like almost certain defeat. And it got really bad for the Muslims. Several companions died. The Quraysh even got close enough to attack Prophet Muhammad and hit him in the face. Fortunately, he was wearing a helmet that protected a lot of his face from being hurt. But even he was injured in the battle. That's how closely they came to winning. The Muslims eventually had to break rank and they had to flee themselves. They were Initially the pursuers and now they were the pursued. And they took refuge into the battle, into the mountain of Ahud, into different nooks and craggies and caves and hidden places within the mountain of Ahud to keep themselves from being attacked and from being destroyed to a man. The Quraysh had snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. Abu Sufyan He was happy with this. The Quraysh really didn't have the manpower to attack Medina. They had lost really too many soldiers and they had barely, barely escaped being completely destroyed were not for that mistake of the archers and Khalid Ibn Ali taking that hill. They would have definitely been whipped. Abu Sufyan was wise enough to count his blessings and know when enough was enough. So rather than chase after the Muslims in the mountains or go into Medina and attack Medina, he gathered his forces and made plans to leave the battlefield. But let's step back a few minutes. In the midst of all this action, in the midst of the Muslims fighting and Khadr ibn Walid coming down from the hill and attacking the Muslims from the back, Hamza was killed. But let's see how it happened. We don't know if Hamza's death took place before or after Khalid ibn Walid and his cavalry came down from that hill, it appears as if Hamza was killed perhaps before Khalid ibn Walid attacked. According to the words of Washi, Hamza was really in the midst of kicking some serious butt when Washi took aim and killed Hamza. But let's see how it happened. In the words of Washi himself, as he described, talking about his trip to Medina and the Battle of Ahud. So I marched with the people to Ahud, and I am good at spearing. So when the two parties fought, I set out seeking Hamza. I saw him amidst people fighting. He was like a white and black striped camel, striking severely with his sword, and no one could stand in his way. By Allah, when I was getting ready and trying to seize the fit opportunity to spear him, hiding sometimes behind a tree or a rock, hoping that he might draw nearer and be within range. At that moment, I caught sight of Sibah ibn Abdul Uzza, going closer towards him. When Hamza saw him, he said, Come on, O son of the clitoris cutter, for his mother used to be a circumciser. Then he struck one strong stroke that could hardly miss his head. Then I balanced my spear and shook it till I was content with it. Then I speared him, and it went down into his stomach and issued out between his legs. He attempted moving towards me, but he was overcome by his wound. I left him there, with the spear in his entrails till he died. Then I came to him, pulled out my spear, and returned to the encampment place. I stayed there and did not go out, for he was the only man I sought. I only killed him to free myself. So as soon as I got back to Mecca, I became a free man. So judging from that, it appears as if the Muslims were in the midst of winning because Hamza didn't seem confused or anything like that. And he was really just kicking butt, according to the words of Washi, who so it appears if, from my perspective, from my opinion, that he was winning. And Allah knows best about these things. But the point is that Washi took the opportunity in the midst of the battle to kill Hamza. And Washi came out there to the battle of Uhud for one thing and one thing only that was to kill Hamza. He had no intention of becoming a soldier for the Quraysh. He did not want to destroy Islam or fight against Prophet Muhammad He was a hitman. He was a hired gun, and he had made his target. And once he had done that, he packed up his belongings and he went back home. And that was the end of that. The Battle of Ahud ends. The Quraysh, are satisfied that they had gotten some sort of revenge. They have enacted some sort of punishment from their perspective on the Muslims for the humiliation and defeat at the Battle of Badr. And the Quraysh pack up their belongings and head back to Mecca. And the Muslims, they eventually descend from the mountain of Uhud and head back to Medina. There are a few other things that happen after that, but they're outside the scope of this story. For now we see the Battle of Ahud was the closest thing the Muslims experienced to a defeat in these early years. We will continue our story, inshallah, in the next episode of the Alm Show. We will see just, just exactly what happens now that the Battle of Ahud is over and Washi is now a free man. We will continue, inshallah, in the next episode. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Nashara la ilaha la anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubi ilayk.